0: Our sermon text for this Palm Sunday, this beginning of Holy Week, the day that Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem as a lamb to the slaughter, to the cross to die, is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and is riding a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth." And we pray. These words are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Back in my hometown, my high school had a big rival school. Basketball games, whenever we went there, were always loud and tense. The gym was affectionately known as the house of noise because the acoustics were so bad that you'd almost need earplugs whenever there was a game because of all the shouting and the noise. I read back uh, just that in February of this year that school hosted something called donkey basketball. It's a game where players, instead of running the length of the court to try and shoot a basket, they ride donkeys. I can just imagine all the, the shouting and the hollering and the laughing that took place during that game. You can't go to really any sporting event without shouting. Imagine going to a game where no one said anything. or just silent. Even if it might have been the the, the best game in the world to watch, it would be the worst event to go to. Shouting means people are into it. It, It's important to them. And they feel even a silly game like basketball or donkey basketball is important enough to to, to go horse over, to lose your voice at. Zechariah describes shouting because of a donkey, too. Or rather, who is on it? He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and he is riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah's words are part of a telescopic prophecy. It means that it refers to, it refers to many things in the future, all at the same time. And the most obvious is Palm Sunday, today, the, the, the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. But he's also referring to Jesus' second coming at the end of the world. And both times, there will be rejoicing, shouting, praising, But what's the reason? Zechariah uses the terms daughter of Zion and daughter of Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion and Jerusalem are God's Old Testament people, the Israelites. Zion is the hill that the temple was built on in the Israelite capital city of Jerusalem. In Zechariah's day, they had all just returned from being held captive in another country. It was a difficult and discouraging time. In the past month or so, I've I've read a lot of stories about people going to their homes again after all the flooding that we had uh, this spring. And I can just imagine going to your whole community and seeing your community destroyed. That's what it was like for the Israelites. They returned to their country and found Jerusalem in shambles. Their temple, their pride and joy on Mount Zion was in ruins. And you'd think that this would be the first thing that they would rebuild. God had just delivered them, saved them from captivity. Surely they would thank him by doing the least they could do, build a temple to worship him. But they don't. Things really were not that much different than today. Oppression and and pressure from those around them and their own growing indifference and laziness towards the things of God kept them from worshiping God at the temple. Things were just not going well. What could have fixed their situation? But what does any nation whose land is in ruins after attack from enemies need? What does any nation who suffers from a lack of unity need? What does any group that suffers from mixed priorities and indifference need? They need a leader. The Israelites needed a leader. They even wanted a leader. They wanted a king. Zechariah's message to them was, Rejoice! Greatly shout! Their king would come and he would bring peace. This is what he would do. He would cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow would be taken away and he would proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. When this king would come, He would cut off the chariots from Ephraim, what we might say are the the most powerful uh, army vehicles of our greatest enemy. But not only that, he would get rid of Jerusalem's own army. The battle bow, which is exactly what it sounds like, a a bow made out of animal horns or bronze that would shoot arrows, uh, the greatest long-distance weapon they had would be taken away. There would be no more need for weapons. This king would bring peace. He would usher in a new kingdom. But this king wouldn't be an earthly king. He wouldn't create a physical national kingdom and nor would it be done by fighting. See there were two ways that a king would enter into a city. Either a king would ride on a white war horse, a a charger, which meant he was there to conquer, or a king would ride a donkey, which meant he was there in peace. Jesus would and did ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. But this king, the Messiah, prophesied by Zechariah, is supposed to defeat enemies. How can you defeat your enemies if you come in peace? And Jesus isn't only going to come in peace, he's going to surrender. He's going to die. You can imagine the confusion of the Israelites when their king comes. If Jesus had ridden into the city to usher in a new kingdom, if Jesus really is the son of David, the promised Messiah, how is he going to save us if he's going to die? If Jesus has really come to save us, then why does Jesus die? You can't save the nation, rule it, and make it glorious if you're dead. And when we actually get to Palm Sunday, the people are hung up on their worldly problems. The Romans have invaded their nation and they made it blatantly obvious. In fact, I've heard that if you would uh, walk into the city of Jerusalem, no matter what road, any road coming into the, the city of Jerusalem, there would be crosses every 40 yards. Anyone who rebels is subject to crucifixion. These crosses were a reminder to the people what would be the fate of anyone who tried to rebel? And so naturally, the Israelites want to be delivered from this. They want to be delivered from the Romans, their oppressors. They want a king that would bring them political and physical peace. They want Israel to be made great again. They want to be made prosperous. They want an earthly king to rule over an earthly kingdom. Something they could see and experience. Jesus as king could bring any of those things. He could have brought them prosperity and safety from their physical enemies. He could have brought them good homes. But those weren't the things that they needed the most. Jesus as king could bring us national peace. He could grant us deliverance from our enemies. Anyone who is a bully to us or persecutes us in any way, Jesus could destroy. He could make us prosperous. He could give us all that we ever wanted. He could be an earthly king who would reign over an earthly kingdom. He could create heaven on earth for us now or for a thousand years. But Jesus never promised to do any of that. He never promised that our life on earth would be free from persecution, pain, or trouble. He never promised pleasure. In fact, for those that follow him, he promised a cross. Something that we tend to shrug off in our days is, is no big deal, but for the people in Jesus' day, when Jesus promised a cross, they knew exactly what he meant by just walking outside of the city. The cross Jesus promises us is not so much different than his own, since a cross comes as a result of loving God or loving our neighbors. It's not easy to do those things. And it even brings with it uh, the opposite of earthly peace, pleasure, or possessions. Even as something as simple as bringing children to church can be a cross and is a cross for parents, loving God is not easy. This king doesn't seem like one to shout for or rejoice in. Less than a week later after Palm Sunday, early Friday morning, Jesus is on trial. And likely many of the same people who had just been shouting their praises at Jesus now are hurling insults at him, yelling, Not Hosanna, but crucify him. And ironically, they charge him with claiming to be a king, for attempting to overthrow the rulers by force. They either forgot Palm Sunday and what he was riding on, or they didn't care. This King wasn't bringing the kind of peace that they wanted. And it's not the peace that we want either, but it's the peace that we need. We need peace for our conscience. We need a conscience that isn't just content with whatever it has. We need a conscience that is forgiven. We need peace between us and God. So when Zechariah says that this king will proclaim peace, he's talking about spiritual peace. Zechariah was saying that the kind of peace that this king would establish would not be established through chariots, war horses, or battle bows. That's why the chariots and horses have been taken away and the bow would be broken. Zechariah is using these images, the destroyed chariots and battle boats, to to signify the greatest peace, spiritual peace. Victory not over physical enemies or just people that we, we just don't like, but over our real enemies, the devil and his allies, sin and death. The peace that this king would bring would not be the peace in having plenty of possessions or a good family or even our health. But it would be peace with God, and a real peace, not a theoretical peace. A theoretical peace is one that we have the biggest weapons or the the greatest stash or the most stuff, and so we're probably fine and we can enjoy our peace. A real peace is knowing that you've won, and the other side is forever incapable of fighting. That's the peace that this King would bring. He would defeat the devil and sin and death once and for all. Saint Paul said that Jesus made peace through his shedding of his blood on the cross. Your King brings you spiritual peace through his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death in order that you might be his own Live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. You have the peace in knowing your sins are forgiven. And because of this, you can be sure that you have life and you have salvation. When Christ returns to call you home to heaven, he'll come to you humbly. Not on a war horse or a charger to make you feel sorry for all those sins that you have committed against him but gently, humbly, in peace, because your sins have already been forgiven through his death on the cross. And you and I and and all believers in Christ, we can shout, we can rejoice, we can sing Hosanna, because even through death, our King has come to save us now. So rejoice greatly, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a leader, a king in your life. He is Jesus Christ and he came for you. Shout, fill the house with noise because he has come riding on a donkey. And because he rode into Jerusalem and went to the cross for you, he brings you salvation. He brings you peace. He brought you peace between you and God through his blood on the cross. His kingdom has come, and through the preached message of the gospel, extends from sea to sea, from your baptism to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.